Into the Weeds. I'm your host, Brian Brown, Integrated Weed Management Specialist with the New York State IPM program. Today we're going to be talking about controlling water hemp in corn. And luckily for us, it is a lot easier to control water hemp in corn than in soybeans. Corn is more competitive than soybeans, grows faster, grows taller, uh, and we have more effective herbicides on the water hemp in corn. Last summer, 2019, we had a trial in Seneca County in a field that had a large population of water hemp that had built up over the past few years. So it was a good a good site for the trial because we had a lot of water hemp emerging and could get a lot of high quality results. And we looked at some pre-only treatments, we looked at some post-only treatments, and we looked at some two-pass treatments as well. You know, this was, this was our first trial in corn. We didn't know how effective uh, we could be, how hard it was going to be to control this water hemp. In addition to those, we also looked at some single residual herbicides to see which herbicide groups are most effective on the water hemp. So the grower got the field tilled up and planted. Actually, it was June when we planted. We had a late late spring last uh, last year. Um, and we got all the treatments in. And then we came back in uh, about mid-August and rated the water hemp control based on the biomass. So we actually harvested the water hemp. Um, and we did this in mid-August so that we could do it before the water hemp would set seed and potentially spread. And so I guess I'll go over the, the single residual treatments first, um, starting with Resolve Q, which is Resolve and Harmony. So both are ALS inhibitors, group two. And uh, that, that went down at 1.5 ounces per acre which we applied right after planting, so pre-emergence application. So we're, we're, there's no emerged weeds, we're only looking at the residual activity. And it really provided unsatisfactory control of the water hemp, only controlling around 40% of it when we, when we did the ratings in mid-August. Whereas some of the other individual residual treatments that we looked at, so atrazine at four pints per acre, applied pre-emergence, so we're only looking at the residual activity. And atrazine actually controlled around 76% of the water hemp, which was a surprise because you know, atrazine is a, a photosystem two inhibitor in group five, same as metribuzin, which if you listen to the, the previous podcast on soybeans, uh, we didn't have very good control at all with metribuzin. So um, uh, there may be some slight differences between the atrazine and the metribuzin, even though they're in the same herbicide group. But do keep in mind that that we did see some evidence of, of resistance to atrazine by the water hemp in our greenhouse trials. Okay, next we looked at the residual activity of Callisto at 7.7 fluid ounces per acre controlled 89% of the water hemp. So Callisto, we don't expect any re uh, resistance to. It's in group 27, it's a HPPD inhibitor. And Callisto, luckily, is in a lot of the remaining treatments that I'll be talking about. 
such as Acuron, which is the next one on, on the list. So Acuron, we applied pre-emergence here at 2.5 quarts per acre. And coming back uh, in our ratings, it, it still was providing 99% control. So Acuron, once again, is Callisto plus plus another HPPD inhibitor, or group 27, called bicyclopyrone, as well as Dual, um, which is group 15, and Atrazine. And the, the Callisto and the, and the Atrazine apparently have a little bit of a synergistic effect in that they work well together. Whereas when we came back and sprayed Acuron as a post-treatment, and all the post-treatments were done in mid-July, so about a month and a half after planting. So when that was sprayed as a, as a post-treatment, it only provided 92% control. So seems to be more effective as a pre-emergence application. And that's a trend we talked about in the soybean podcast, that this water hemp grows so tall and it's so quickly that it's, it's easy to, to blink and then... Before you know it, it's taller than the four inches that a lot of the labels suggest um, as the maximum height that you want to be spraying it at. Okay, so getting back to the pre-emergence treatments, so pre-emergence only. So uh, another one we looked at was, was Harness Max, which is Harness, which is a, a, a group uh, 15, so similar to Dual, and Callisto again, so group 27. And in, the, in a tank mix, we added in atrazine, uh, and the rates for those were Harness Max at two quarts per acre, plus the atrazine at two pints per acre. And that treatment, once again, provided 99% control of the water hemp. So here you've got the atrazine and the, and the Callisto that are potentially you know, working well together in a synergistic way. And then you've got the, uh, you know, the group 15, the harness there, which um, should have good activity on, on small seeded broadleaf weeds like, uh, like, our, like our pig weeds, like water hemp. Okay, so that was, that was another good result. All right, so then getting into the post-only treatments. I, I already talked about Acuron post, and these others were also sprayed in, in mid-July starting with just atrazine and callisto there's that that combination again again providing 99 percent control the rates for those were a little bit lower rate of callisto sprayed post three fluid ounces per acre and then atrazine at four pints per acre okay and then our final post only treatment is status which is dicamba and diflufenzapyr uh, so dicamba group 14 and diflufenzapyr at group 19 at 10 ounces per acre and then resolve Q again at 1.25 ounces per acre. And we added in a, a non-ionic surfactant at a quarter percent volume of volume. And actually I was surprised that that, uh, that only controlled around 92% of the water hemp. But once again, you know, on the, most of the dicamba labels, you've got to hit this weed when it's less than four inches tall. And we were, we were larger than that. We were probably around seven inches tall. So it was our fault for not getting it on on time, but it also demonstrates how easy it is for you to fall behind and, and not get as good control as, as you should. 
based on how quickly this weed emerges out of the ground. In midsummer, once it gets up to be a, a foot or two tall, it can keep growing by about an inch a day. Okay, so the next treatment, we use this the same post-emergence application that I just mentioned, the status and the resolve queue, but that was following a pre-emergence application of Acuron. So this is a two-pass program, Acuron first at 2.5 quarts per acre, uh, followed by the status and the resolve queue at the same rates I mentioned earlier. And no surprise, this, this controlled 100% of the water hemp. We've got a lot of different herbicides, a lot of different group numbers, herbicide families involved here. We're not just relying on one or maybe two sites of action. We've got group two, group four, group five, group 15, group 19, and group 27, <laughs> which uh, sounds kind of nuts, but um, you know, that's, that's what a lot of these programs are moving to in other states, in other parts of the country. To, to regain control of these weeds. All right, so the next treatment, we've got Acuron Pre followed by row cultivation. So this row cultivation was meant to, to just come in and clean up any escaped weeds that, uh, that got through the Acuron. And remember, Acuron by itself pre-controlled around 99% of the water hemp. So the row cultivation didn't have to really control that many weeds, uh, just a few here or there. And uh, luckily, I think most of those were were between the rows, where row cultivation can do a good job. If, if they were right in the row, that um, would have been a problem. But that treatment controlled 100% of the water hem. Uh, and then our final treatment, which was the reduced rate of Callisto, only 5.4 fluid ounces per acre, applied pre. And we used the reduced rate because we were going to come in with interseeding around V5 or so. Right before the interseeding, we also used row cultivation again to control any weeds that escaped the Callisto. And this treatment also provided 100% control of the water hemp. I don't think that we're getting any control from the interseeding. Crop competition with the water hemp is going to be minimal at that point, given that the, the annual ryegrass that we used only got up to a few inches tall in August. Um, but I think that you know primarily the Callisto and then the row cultivation cleaned up the remaining weeds uh, really effectively. And then we get the added benefit of the interseeding and, um, and all the benefits that go along with cover cropping there. And I suppose I should back up. So you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with interseeding, it's, it's becoming more popular, uh, especially in the mid-Atlantic. There's a few pockets in, in western New York. The Western New York uh, Soil Health Alliance is, is doing quite a bit of it. The Lewis County Soil and Water Conservation District has an interseeder that they uh, rent out to, to farmers, uh, as does the Genesee River Coalition of Conservation Districts. So all the conservation districts kind of around the Genesee River. And the benefit is that you can seed these cover crops in mid-season in the corn, around V5, V7 maybe, 
and they slowly develop. They, you know, they're so small, and they're, you know, the corn has such a head start that it doesn't bother the corn at all. And then when the corn starts to dry down, and then of course when you harvest the corn, the cover crop really takes off. You get a lot more cover crop biomass and a lot more benefits from the cover crop rather than trying to rush and seed that cover crop after corn harvest, which can be pretty late. And the other thing is that with this, this water hemp and same with horseweed, they have really tiny, tiny seeds, some of the smallest weed seeds that we have. And so they don't have much energy stored in those seeds. So it's really hard for them to germinate and emerge through much soil or through much residue. So if you have a cover crop down over the winter, in the spring, if you're doing no-till, it's gonna be really challenging for much water hemp or for much horseweed or mare's tail to emerge through that residue. John Wallace did some work with this and he had much less horseweed or mare's tail emergence when he had a winter cover crop than bare soil. You know, for the no-till folks, if that cover crop residue can stick around through the early part of the season and help suppress this water hemp or this horseweed, that's just a great benefit. In addition to all the, you know, soil quality and uh, soil health type benefits of the cover crop. And on the topic of the small seed size, it's important to think about what kind of tillage you want to do. If you've got water hemp or horseweed, those seeds really need to emerge from the top quarter inch of soil. They don't have the energy to emerge from much deeper than that. So think about what kind of tillage and, and you know where you want to place those seeds. Do you want to keep them right on the soil surface to, to make them you know germinate? You know, if, if you're in a position, if you're doing corn or you're doing a crop where you feel you can do a great job um, controlling them, you know, maybe you encourage them to germinate and, uh, and then kill them with, with an herbicide or tillage. Um, but, you know, if you're going into something that you're going to have a more challenging time, like soybeans, maybe you try to bury them. You know, maybe you get out the old moldboard plow and uh, put them deep where they're not going to be able to germinate. So anyway, so back to interseeding. We thought that interseeding is, is a really sound agronomic practice and it would be a shame for farmers not to be able to interseed due to these more extensive two-pass residual herbicide programs that we've, we're finding effective on the water hemp. So we wanted to see if, if any of these residual products are compatible with interseeding. Can you, can you use some of these, these residual products that are effective on the water hemp and not do too much injury to the interseeding cover crop? So at a separate trial up in the North Country, up in uh, Lewis County, at a, at a field that actually didn't have any water hemp, we tested uh, a lot of the different residual products that uh, I've been talking about for their potential to injure an interseeded cover crop. And the interseeded cover crop that we used was annual ryegrass. Annual ryegrass is one of the most commonly interseeded cover crops. 
uh, along with some mustards and some clovers. Uh, but we thought that it's going to be easier for us to target a broadleaf weed like like water hemp or mare's tail with residual herbicides and not injure annual ryegrass than some of these other broadleaf interseeded cover crops. So that's why we went with the annual ryegrass. And that was seeded around 20 pounds per acre by Michael Durant from Lewis County Swollen Water, around V5, V6. And uh, I should mention before that, you know, right at planting, we put down all of these pre-emergence applications. So we looked at atrazine, Callisto, Resolve Q, Dual 2 Magnum, Warrant, Sharpen, and Acuron. And then for most of those, we came back right before the interseeding and cleaned up any any uh, escapes with Roundup Power Max at 22 fluid ounces per acre with AMS at 2.5 pounds per acre. Most of those residual products were used at the, the maximum labeled rate, similar to uh, the rates I talked about earlier. The exceptions were Callisto, which we used at that reduced rate of 5.4 fluid ounces per acre, following what uh, Penn State had used in some of their trials. And the Acuron, we used a half rate, 1.25 quarts per acre. One I didn't mention earlier was Warrant, which was used at 2.3 quarts per acre. And, and do note that that is not a labeled use in New York. Um, so we, we were interested in it, comparing the, the warrant to the to dual magnum, both in group 15. The dual tool magnum was used at 1.6 pints per acre. Another one not in the previous trials was Sharpen, which is a PPO inhibitor, group 14, which was used at 3 fluid ounces per acre. And the Sharpen, we uh, wanted to follow up, so instead of the Roundup to control any escapes, uh, we came in with status and resolve Q again. So I mentioned earlier there was no water hemp at this site, but there was common lamb's quarters, there was velvet leaf, there were some other broadleaf weeds, and there were some grasses. So we came in early season, about a month after applying those residual products, but before we came in with the Roundup as our post, uh, and we did some ratings. Most of these products weren't broad spectrum. They controlled some of these weeds, but not all. Um, but on the other hand, Callisto and Acuron both uh, controlled nearly 100% of each of these categories, lamb's quarters, velvet leaf, other broadleaf, or grasses. And so that was impressive. And then we came in in late September when the corn was starting to dry down a little bit and uh, the cover crop had put on some biomass. It was maybe a foot, foot and a half tall. We actually harvested the annual ryegrass to measure the injury of each of the residual herbicides compared to our control, which was not treated with any residual products, was only treated with Roundup at post-emergence. And some of these some of these residual products definitely injured the ryegrass, as you might expect. So dual two magnum had probably the most injury. Uh, the, the biomass was about twenty percent compared to the control. Acuron also injured the ryegrass. 
And the treatment was sharpened it as well, but unfortunately, since we were simulating a more conventional non-GMO treatment here, our post-emergence application was the status and the resolve queue, so it could be that some of that injury was due to the post-emergence rather than the sharpen. We were surprised that, that the atrazine didn't seem to injure the ryegrass uh, very much. Part of that may be some, some of the heavy rains that we had in the spring that may have washed some of that atrazine through. And that's why a lot of weed scientists say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be applying atrazine early in the spring. Uh, wait until our post-emergence applications. When the soil's warmed up, when we've got plants in the ground, it's going to be less likely to get washed through and potentially enter our drinking water. Okay, and then uh, Resolve Q and Warrant didn't seem to have too much of an effect on the ryegrass. And actually, when, when our post-emergence application was actually row cultivation rather than the Roundup, the injury due to the Acuron wasn't as severe. So, you know, there may be some, you know, mixing up the soil and the, you know, disturbance may have quickened the degradation of the Acuron to cause less damage to the ryegrass. But overall, the, uh, the kind of the winner of this, of this round of trials was the Callisto, which did not injure the ryegrass at all, and also in our other trial provided good control of the water hemp. So to answer our question of whether we can target water hemp with these residual herbicide programs and still interseed? Our answer is yes, and, and it seems that Callisto is a good fit, at least with, with annual ryegrass in corn. Okay, so those are the main research results from today. Uh, just a few other odds and ends. I want to talk a little bit about prevention and how do you prevent water hemp from coming onto your farm in the first place. Well, from speaking with some of the, the growers that, that do have it, in one case it came in on some used equipment from the Midwest. In other cases it's come in on feed or bedding contaminated with that water hemp seed. I just want to mention, you know, not a lot of folks know about this, but there's a New York State seed testing laboratory that you can send samples and they can actually identify weed seeds, in most cases down to the species, but for our pigweeds, unfortunately, they can only tell you that it's, that it's one of the pigweeds. They can't tell you whether it's water hemp or palmer or, or red root, or, but that may be a good thing to do if you're getting inputs from other states. Corn and soybeans are usually super clean, but you know other crops, I'd be more apt to get that seed tested. And the same goes for feed or, or bedding materials coming from other states. You want to think about getting it tested. And unfortunately, with more and more farms having resistant weeds in New York, uh, you guys start thinking about sanitation procedures, thinking about trying not to spread it from, from field to field, especially if you're in an area where you know there's water hemp. You, you've got to be really careful about tillage, about any kind of tractor operations in moist soil where you know, soil is going to be maybe sticking to the tires or other parts of equipment and moving it around, potentially spreading the seed. And the big one is harvest. 
those combines can hold 150 pounds of plant biomass, even when you think they're clean. And so you, you want to harvest the weedy fields last, you know, as a general procedure. If you think that that combine has gone through some, some water hemp or, or some other herbicide resistant weed, and you might think about letting it run for a few minutes, driving over bumpy ground, giving it a good clean, you know, from top to bottom and from front to back, blowing or, or vacuuming it all out. All good things to do to try to prevent the spread of these weeds. Or better yet, if you've got a small patch of it, just don't harvest that ground. Go in like one of our uh, on-farm collaborators did and, and with some high school kids and, and pull it out of there, get it out of the field, and burn it. Don't let those seeds enter your soil. So how do you know if you have weeds surviving your herbicide applications? Well... Ideally, before and, and even after each herbicide application, it's a great idea to go scout, see how effective was that application. Did you, did you kill what you think you were going to kill, what you were supposed to kill there? If you didn't completely control the weeds you were going after, then you have time to hopefully come in and spray a rescue application. And scouting has come a long ways. Boy, there's some new apps out there that really have advanced the way we can scout. You can integrate in satellite images of your farm, your fields, and you know, overlay patches or, or areas where you have certain weeds and then make notes on those patches on the size of the weeds and the weed species that are present. So you can save that information on your phone and have it for your records. A few of the, the apps out there are Scout Pro, eCrop Scout, and Connected Farm. You might want to take a look at. And then for actually identifying the weeds, there's some, some new apps. The one I've been using is called Picture This, and I've been really happy with it. It's been accurate just about every time. And uh, Lynn Sosnowski, our new assistant professor of weed ecology for specialty crops, has tested out two other weed ID apps one called iNaturalist, and the other one is called PlantNet. And she's found pretty good results with those, getting over 70% accuracy there. And one thing that is really important with all these, these ID apps is that you take a good picture. The plant has to be pretty close to the camera. You can't take it from, you know, from the tractor. It's important that the plant have some kind of solid background soil or maybe the the sky or or the side of the tractor so that it can distinguish the shape of the leaves and any flowers and and identifying characteristics so overall scouting is really important to know if you're still being effective with your weed control treatments and not wake up one day to find yourself farming uh, a field of herbicide-resistant weeds that have slowly been uh, spreading over the years uh, without being noticed. If you do think you've got some resistant weeds, Lynn Sosnowski is also continuing on the resistance screening. So she can, if she can collect seeds from those weeds, she'll actually screen them for resistance to different herbicides so you can know exactly what it's resistant to or what is still effective on it.
You know what? I forgot to mention earlier, we did some other unreplicated water hemp trials on a few other farms. One in Genesee County found really good effectiveness with, with Acuron in addition to atrazine. You know, there's, there's atrazine in Acuron, but you can add a little bit more to the tank mix. Uh, in addition to glyphosate. I was impressed with that, just that single pre-emergence application. And uh, it also in their nearby alfalfa field, they, they use 2,4-DB as a, an early post-emergence application and also had really, really high efficacy. And I hardly, hardly saw any water hemp in those fields. When I know a few years ago, it was very problematic there. And then in another site, the grower's primary weed issue was actually field bindweed in his corn. And so he was thinking about applying Yukon, but he also mentioned some problematic grasses, which w was surprising to us given that he typically sprays atrazine, dual, and prowl, uh, all pre. And, but he was looking for for more grass weed control for some reason. And uh, here were Mike Hunter's thoughts. So he's doing what, a dual atrazine dual prowl. You could actually, legally, you can come back in with um, uh, Armazon Pro, which is a group 27 in Outlook. Um, you're stacking uh, uh, chlorcetamide on top of another one, but it's legal. Um, you know, but that's, I mean, you're throwing in a totally different group. I mean, you got a group 27 and a group 15. So, um, you know, but I don't know. Um, do you think grasses should be, I mean, grasses shouldn't really be a problem in this situation. If we have rainfall, I mean, you got dual prowl and atrazine. I think you should be pretty I good. Say, right? I, I, I can say. imagine can buy that. What's that? I yeah, I was going to say. That. Yeah, I mean, that's why Jeff said, you know, the heads, you know, the bindweed. Yeah, that's where the Yukon will come into play. But, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, if there's some grasses in there, you could always come back in with Lotus or something. Um, you know, Lotus or, you know, even Caprino. Okay, so that was Mike Hunter's thoughts on that. And that reminds me, from that meeting, as we were waiting for everyone to, to join in on the conference call, we got another preseason turkey hunting report. Good morning, guys. Morning. How are you? <clears throat> All set for turkey. Well, it looks like it's going to rain tomorrow morning. Oh, we're supposed to get hammered, they're saying. I guess there's a special weather statement north of the border there for Kingston. They're saying we're going to get a lot of rain. Yes. It'll be windy and cold. Yeah, not a good uh, opening day turkey. It may not happen tomorrow. <laughs> they, I mean, they weren't even, I mean, today on the way to the office, I mean, there's always turkeys in fields. I didn't see any turkeys even out today. They're still they know still hanging out. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I got blinds I could put up, but I don't think I want to even want to go sit in that. Hmm. Maybe not even worth it. You're getting it. soft. You're getting soft in your old age, Sanyard. Uh, I I agree. I, I agree. <laughs> I'm not gonna fight that. <laughs> Check with me tomorrow afternoon. I'll let you know if I went, but yeah. you'll send a you'll send a picture if you get a good time. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs>
Well, if you send a picture, if you send a picture of a Tom tomorrow, you better hold a no, an index card up with a date on it so that we know it's not last year's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I did get one opening day last year. Yeah. Well, at least the kicks won't be out so bad tomorrow. Boy, they were bad in Pennsylvania this week when I was down there. Oh, were they? Yeah. Oh, man. I I walked around the first day, and finally it was so bad, I actually sprayed my pants with permethrin. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that does a good job, man. I, I hit a branch, and 10 of them went on my leg. Oh, my God. Oh, really? And I sat there oh, and watched. Wow. I watched them, and every single one of them fell off. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. One by one, they just all dropped off. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, they're bad this year. Even up here, they're my my brother-in-law said he's been up in our woods clearing trails in the woods, and he said they're all over. So certainly, watch out for ticks, folks. You do not want Lyme's disease or other diseases they carry. Uh, there's a lot of great tick identification resources and other fact sheets on how to avoid ticks or, or remove ticks properly on the New York State IPM webpage. So be sure to check those out. And there's a full report on the results that I mentioned here on controlling water hemp and corn on the New York State IPM webpage as well. So that's all for today. Final thing as a disclaimer, please read pesticide labels prior to use. The information contained here is not a substitute for pesticide label. Trade names used herein are only used for convenience, so no endorsement of products is intended nor is criticism of unnamed products implied. Laws and labels change and it is your responsibility to use pesticides legally. And it's a good idea to consult your local cooperative extension office for legal and recommended practices and products. Big thanks to the project co-leaders, Nancio Fernandez, Mike Hunter, Jeff Miller, and Mike Stanyard for all their work on this project. And thanks to the New York Farm Viability Institute for funding this project. And we're starting to get ready for the 2020 growing season here. So hope to have some more results to share with you from those trials. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Into the Weeds.